You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. So cool. Hey, happy Father's Day to all you dads. You guys are legends. Your kids told, told me so. So you make sure you spoil them today, or they should spoil you. And uh, I love what the guys on the panel said. They're, they did a good job, didn't they? Give them a, give them a hand one more time. Great job. Had to bring my favorite mug. It starts today, and I don't know what's going on right now. They've been going for a while, so it's not important you are. But don't bug me after the service. You're not important after the service. (laughs) Kidding, kidding. But we're also, you know, changing clothes, getting on the hogs, and headed towards Queensland for the national conference. So, yeah, hey. One thing's for sure, whatever these guys were talking about, one thing is for sure that as fathers and as husbands is our privilege and our responsibility uh, to lead our family. You, you can't abdicate from that. You can argue all day about who is the head, and I would encourage you to stop, stop arguing and just start leading. You know, God never put that in the Bible for people to argue over. He put it for us to live by, for protection, for love, for guidance you know, for strength in a family. And there's so many families without that strength. So don't argue about it. Don't fight over it. Just live it, you know. And, and, you know, our age brackets will talk about how we do it differently, but still we've got to do it out of love. And I was looking at the, uh, you've seen the adverts on television, Dads for Kids. I was looking at their website the other day, and it reminded me of uh, what our pre-marriage counselor said. He said many things, but one of the things he said to me sitting there that day in his office, he said, and they put this on the website, Keith, the greatest thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother, which is interesting. The website went on to say also marriage not only produces children, but more importantly, produces adults that are capable of loving children. Love what Jono said, you know, anybody can father a child, well, any male, any male can father a child, but not any male can be a dad to a child. And that's, that's why, interesting that, you know, Paul in Romans 8 he, he, he addresses God, Father, Papa, Abba, Father, you know, and makes it, he's not just God Almighty, he's also my dad, he's my Papa. Now, the second thing that it said on that website is this, every child needs a mother and a father, so the journey to becoming a great father includes becoming a great friend, lover, and husband to your wife. You can't do it alone. It, it just doesn't work. You've got to do it together, and you've got to do it as a team, and you've got, to, you've got to do it as a team, as one flesh. This is what's so unique about Christian marriage. We don't just join together for sexuality, companionship, and for joining in ventures in life. We actually become one. There's no other union in the world that says that, you know, where you become one. And this, this whole thing is reflected in the theme today, as for me and my house. We've had this on a wooden plaque in our entranceway for decades. It looks old now and it's daggy, but it doesn't come down. Because for us, it's more than a text. It's more than a nice saying. It's a commitment that we have lived by since our kids were infants, even to the day when they walk in now as grown adults with their children, so that our children's children can see that and say, well, this is what we live by. You know, it's more than a creed in life. It is, it is, it is life itself to us. And so this scripture, this, this verse is just incredible. It's, it's found in Joshua 24, uh, the end of the book of Joshua. You can either turn your Bibles there to Joshua 24 or it'll be on the screen for you. Because the context is there where the leader is an old man. He's, he's well and truly, he's probably 
pushing beyond 100. And, and he's at the end of his days and he knows it. Now, they usually say you save your best for last. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think, golly, what would be my last sermon? And how do you know it's your last sermon? And what would be the last thing I would say? Joshua knew it's the last time I'm going to address the people. And this is what I'm going to say to them. So it's very, very important. So he calls the people together. But in particular, he wants to address the men and the fathers to stand and lead in a way that honors God. And you need to remember, they had already conquered and settled in the promised land. They're there. They're home. We would look at what happened and went, man, that's called revival. That's what that is. They are in a state of revival. And it's interesting that Joshua doesn't address them so. I think sometimes we can can have spiritual encounters and experience, and then it becomes so easy to fall back. Paul actually said, you know, I actually... He's talking about, I discipline myself so that even after I preach to others, I don't become a castaway. You know what, cast, the, that word castaway was used to take a cup that you used to use, you put it on a back shelf, and you never touch it again. It is never to be used for what it was created for again. And Paul said, I know I am most vulnerable after a spiritual high. Interesting. Well, they've had a spiritual high. So when you get to Joshua 24, verse 1, it says this, Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. You need to remember that word. Uh, He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. This isn't just an old man giving some grandfatherly advice. He's actually bringing them in the presence of God. They're there before God. And what's he doing? He's saying, listen, I'm telling you here now, God is calling you to return. What do you mean return? We're in the promised land. This is revival. And it's amazing, guys, how God will always take us back and remind us where we've come from, what brought us here, and where we're at right now. And so Joshua is saying, hey, guys, I want to take you back to the place of dreams. Dreams. What's dreams got to do with it? You know, when we got married, and I'm sure you did, we we had dreams about our life together, about our future, where we would live, what kind of life we would have, what are our kids going to be like, you know, and and we had all kind of dreams about our children when they come along, what kind of people will they turn out to be? And we had dreams, did you ever have dreams for, yeah, my kid's going to be an airplane pilot, Lockie? Where is Lockie? I know you're there, I saw you there. Yeah, my kid's going to be an airplane pilot or a brain surgeon or something like that. And then he becomes Kenny and just drives the truck that picks up Lou's. No, be proud of your kids, whatever they do. As long as they're happy and they love doing it and God's told them to do it. But the deal is this. The place of dreams is where promises become reality. Listen to me. Let me say it again. The place of dreams is where promises become reality. That's what Shechem was. Interesting, I told you to remember that word, that place. You know, people thought that the presence of God kind of camped at Shiloh. And just miles away from Shiloh is this weird place called Shechem. Shechem's a place of dreams. Listen to me. It's dreams of new people in a new land given to them by God. It all started with their great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham. Hundreds of years before this moment, Abraham lands at Shechem. Now, if you go back to Genesis 12, 1 and 2, Abraham is somewhere near Baghdad. God says, get up, leave your family, leave all this foreign God stuff away, and follow me, just head west until I tell you to stop. And he stops at a tree in Shechem, in Canaan. And guess what happens? He has a second encounter with God. Genesis 12, 
6 and 7, and God says, see the land you're standing on? I promise to give it to you and to your children forever. Land of promise, Shechem. And I want to say, dads, you know, we've got dreams and hopes for our families. You should have. And as you get older, they shouldn't stop. You know, Nate's saying, well, what's it like when you have grandkids? I thought once the kids are out of the house, gone are the responsibilities to make sure they follow God. And not true. You feel everything they feel. I don't care how old they are. I don't care what they're going through in life. The, the breakdown of our son's marriage, was, it affected us as much as it affected them. I can't just look at it at a distance and go, oh, well, that's his lot in life. I tried to help him. He didn't listen. None of that stuff. It affects us. It rips your heart out when you see your kids doing this. And he's a big, strong. He rang me at about six this morning. Hey, Dad. I said, yeah, you know, I was about to get ready to go. And yeah, been out on a 9K run, but I just wanted to ring you before you got away and say, I love you, Dad. You know, 34 years old. I never miss that. I look for that every day from my kids, and they're not kids. But the deal is this. We, have, we believe in the promises of God for our children and our children's children. We can either look at the world we live in and go, golly, I'm afraid for my grandkids, and just look at our kids and go, well, it's over to you now. It's up to you. It's not. It's over to us. We didn't have the privilege, and my kids didn't have the privilege, of having the, 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 the uh, perpetual grandparents for free to babysit. Because we came away from all relatives to live here, and our kids grew up without that. And I'm telling you, our grandkids are not growing up without that. You don't know how value, valuable you are as grandparents. You are not just babysitters. You are men and women raising them for the kingdom of God. And we see that. You know, I look at my grandkids and go, I've got... You know, I know their first responsibility is their parents, but I tell you what, I believe I've got a responsibility to help them walk in the ways of the Lord, not just their parents. We're not just babysitters. So I want to say to you, keep speaking faith over them and for them. Declare God's truth for you and your family. Don't go, oh, well, emptiness, that's all over. It's time to travel, honey, and forget about it. Because David writes in Psalm 112, and he says this, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. That's you guys. You walk in an awe of God who finds great delight in his commands. These guys kept talking. I loved it. They kept talking again and again and again about this word. This word is not just a book to get up off the shelf and once in a while look into out of intrigue. This is life and breath. It's called the word of life. And these men kept saying, hey, we just keep going. We love his commands. Verse 2. Now, you speak this over your kids. His children will be mighty in the land. You can look around today at the current state of Australia, and you can get all in despair. Or you can look around at your children and go, they're going to be mighty in this place. And there's enough of us to make it happen. God never needed a majority. He just needed a handful. Always. Why do you think he chose one of the smallest nations on the planet to bring the Messiah into the world? In the most uh, kind of secluded city where it was poor and he brings Jesus into the world. He doesn't need a majority. He just needs a man and his children to stand strong for God. They will be a generation of the upright. They'll be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Speak prosperity over your kids and over your children's children. God takes us not only to the place of dreams, but he takes us to the place of our devotion. That's what Shechem was. Listen, when we made vows to our spouse to love, to cherish, to protect and provide for in sickness and in health till death do us part, 
And we dedicated our children to the Lord. We vowed to raise them in the ways of the Lord, to be a mentor, to be a model, to be a friend. My son at 34 will still say, Dad, you're my best friend. That's the best compliment he could give me. Not that I taught him this, taught him that. I taught him a lot of things, both good, bad, and ugly. But the thing that rings home best for me is when he says, you're my best friend. I've been a mentor to him. Well, you know, Shechem was a place where Abraham received the promise, but his grandson turned Shechem into a place of devotion. Jacob. Shechem just keeps coming back again and again and again. Here's Jacob, Abraham's grandson. He's been away from home for decades. He gets married to two women. Lord have mercy. He must have been some kind of man, I'm telling you. I, I, I have trouble keeping up with one. Anyway, we won't talk about that. That's why I married an older one, because she'll wear out before I do. Anyway, <laughs> I had to get that in today, honey. I just had to do something. It's a good thing I'm leaving today. Anyway, she puts up with my silliness. Here's Jacob. He's got two wives, children. He's got an entourage, he's wealthy, but what he's got packed in with all of it is a bunch of idols from living over near Baghdad. He's heading home, finally going home. I'm no longer afraid of my brother Esau. I'm going to where I'm meant to be. Where does he stop? Shechem. What does he do at Shechem? Read it. Genesis 35, verses 2 and onward. He tells his family, you bring all your idols here right now. Before they settle in the promised land, he says, right here in this sacred place of promise, we are recommitting our lives to God. We're getting rid of all this idolatry here and now. So it's a place of devotion. Now here we are, centuries later, where's Joshua bringing the men of Israel together and challenging them? Shechem. So today, I want to bring a challenge instead of the typical dad sermon. I mean, look, it's, it's always good. Don't get me wrong. It's always good to encourage one another and to talk about how great you are as dads. We only get it once a year, so we might as well uh, live on it. Who just laughed? That was a woman laughing. We only get it. You did. All right. You'll pay now. Um, but I believe there's a time to challenge each other also. And I believe we live in one of those times. Listen to me. Let's go back to verse 2 for a minute. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. He was bold enough to declare a word from God. You realize he's about to speak prophetically. Here he is, well over a hundred. He's still got fire in his belly. I, I got to tell you what I used to ask my granddad. Didn't have, no, don't say that. It's okay. It's Dad's day. I, I was intrigued as a kid. Granddad, you're old and gray. Do, do you still, do you still, do you still? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, guys, don't you? He gave me the best piece of wisdom I've ever heard. He said, son, broad southern accent. Listen, boy, just because there's snow on the roof doesn't mean there ain't any fire in the kettle. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's not dirty. That's pretty, that's granddad. So I'm going, yay for granddad. Come on, now I'm a granddad. Yeah, all right. Anyway, granddad. But listen, this grandfather of the faith, Joshua, 
stands in front of the people and he gets prophetic. He could have given that mushy, it's time for me to go, it's time for me to hand the mantle on, my time is finished, I've run my race, well done, all this. He gets prophetic, he gets pretty strong. And I want to tell you about prophetic just for a moment. Prophetic is both encouraging and challenging. Prophetic, it gives us courage, but it also gives us correction. Listen to me. If, if we are sailing, half, Graham would help me with this, he's an expert. If I'm a degree off in sailing, I'm going to end up a long way from our destination in the end. One degree off. Prophetic will bring you back to your true north. And, and I'm telling you guys, we've got to be bold in these days when people are afraid to stand and say, this is truth. We live in a relative world where people are afraid out there. If you state what you believe is the truth, you'll get shot down like crazy. It's one thing for these guys saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I believe in this. You better believe they'll get the stick for that at work or wherever they are. But I'm telling you, God's Word brings a command. God's Word is commanding. Even in this age of grace, God still has commands. Don't you bet on that. And God's command for us today is this, to make a decision. This is what Joshua is saying. If you read the text, you know what he's doing? He is challenging their indecision. Whoa. You wouldn't know that. And it's evident, listen to me, this, this shocked me when I kind of, when I dug in deep into the word here. It shocked me by the fact that they're still carrying idols wherever they go. Listen to me. Where'd they get these idols from? Their parents. Where'd their parents bring them from? Egypt. Just read the scripture. What did they do with them? They carried them all the way through the wilderness for 40 years. Then they gave them to their children who carried them into Canaan for another 30 plus years before this scripture. That means they have been carrying idols of false gods for 71 plus years. How's that happen, Keith? How's that work? They've just conquered the promised land. They've just seen the Jordan split in front of them. They have experienced miracle after miracle and, and experienced the presence of God. How in the world do they still have idols? Joshua 24, 14. Here's the prophetic word. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. There is a false belief that grace of God takes away the fear of God. I don't fear him out of dread that he will reject me and annihilate me. I fear him that somehow I will fall out of great relationship with him. That's not his fault. I fear what it would be like for me and my children and my children's children when I wander from this word and allow idols into my heart to take God's place and what that would look like in the end. Serve him, fear him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 71 years later. Man, this old guy's got some grunt. Verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you. So he realizes this is a choice now. Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. I just find that so amazing. You go, golly, how could they do that? 
How could they see the presence of God visually in front of them, behind them? How could they experience the power of God so continually? And they just watch the walls of Jericho crumble in front of them, and yet they've got idols in the closet. What kind of people are these? Before you get too quick to judge, go look in your own closet. We might be surprised what's there. I was reading Ellsworth called Opening Up Joshua, and he said this, Idols are still a threat. Idols have changed over the years. Most of us are not inclined to bow down before images carved from wood or stone, but that does not mean idolatry is dead. All of those things which compete for God, with God for our allegiance and our service are idols and must be renounced. I remember we had a fellow come over to speak to our church. Uh, it was a brethren church in Auckland. Had got spirit-filled, become charismatic like us. And we said, hey, come over and mentor us. We were a Baptist church just learning all about that. He wrote a book called Beyond Renewal, The Kingdom of God. He said, he said to me, Keith, I'll never forget. Hang on. Colored water. I can promise you it's not coffee. Um, he said, Keith, I'll never forget. We invited a pastor from one of the nations in Africa over to speak at our church. And he said, one day we were having lunch. And he said, I was shocked at what he told me. He said, um, he said you know, we still have a problem with uh, Christians in our villages going back to the, uh, the witch doctors and the shamans for blessings. If they're not doing well financially or health, even though they've been born again, they'll still go visit the witch doctor, pay them money and see if they can't get some kind of relief. And he said, one of my elders uh, was struggling financially. So he went to uh, the witch doctor to get a blessing from the witch doctor so he could break through financially for his family. The witch doctor pronounced some kind of mantra over these needles that he gave to this elder and said, the next time you're in church and you preside over communion, drop the needles in the cup and you will receive your blessing financially. He said his elder was there in church. He was presiding over communion. He asked everybody to close their eyes, bow their heads so they couldn't see what he was about to do. He took out the needles and he slipped them into the communion cup. And he said, God is my witness. Those needles jumped out of that cup by themselves. Now, my friend from Auckland said, I was sitting there shaking my head saying, you mean you've got elders in your church that still play with witchcraft and idolatry like that? How can that be? And he said, the African pastor looked at him half amused and half angry and said, do you think you people in the West don't have idols? Do you think you people in the West don't worship foreign gods? What about the God of materialism that you are so bound up with? That humbled him that day. Don't sit here today and say, we have no idols. You see, that day in front of their families and to their leader, Joshua made a vow and he said, I, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. But he said, you, you make the choice because I can't make you make the choice. And if you read the context, you know what happens? He, he's, he's questioning, I don't believe you're going to keep it. I don't believe you're going to make the right choice. And even if you do, I think it's a token choice. And I'm going, golly, why are you doing that, Joshua? Well, it's almost like you're going, you guys won't make it. Why? I think after more than 70 years of hanging on to idols, he wanted to hammer them prophetically and say, if you're going to do it, then do it and make sure you keep it. And so in verse 22, Joshua said this to them. 
you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. In other words, you better mean your vow today. You better keep your vow today for generations to come. And they responded, we are witnesses. Because, listen, it's not just a time for decision. It's a time for determination. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is determination. Ellsworth went on and said in his commentary, with the words, we will, Joshua showed that he did not simply desire to see his family serve the Lord. He was determined to see it. You see, for me and Janet, I bought the plaque. It's got our family name on it. And it says that scripture in Joshua 24. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I didn't do that for a declaration. I did it as a determination to make sure it happens through generations. He went on and said this. He was deliberately and decisively committing himself to doing the things necessary to achieve that end. Determination, not desire, is the key to spiritual achievement. You know, in a service like this today, you could, your heart could get warmed and, yeah, I'm going to do something. Then do it. Listen, we live in an age, men, where we need to stand up and we need to do it. Our determination must move to action or we will lose the day. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.